Welcome to the Cookery by the Book podcast with me, Susie Chase. I'm Karen Page, and my new book is Kitchen Creativity, Unlocking Culinary Genius with Wisdom, Inspiration, and Ideas from the World's Most Creative Chefs, and photography by Andrew Dorenberg. You and Andrew Dorenberg, two-time James Beard Award winners, are back at it with Kitchen Creativity, where the thinking process starts in the kitchen, 427 pages of ideas, inspiration, and wisdom are in this book. How the heck is it organized? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think it's actually a great question to kick off with because it is a whole lot, and plus we've got some uh, front matter of the book, so it's actually over 450 pages, so it's good to get a handle on it. Um, We've organized the book, and I say we, even though Andrew is the photographer, because we are Karen and Andrew, as our website suggests. It's karenandandrew.com. We're Karen and Andrew on Twitter, Um, and we do work together to create the books that we've created. This is book number 11. We've co-authored the first nine, and uh, for the last couple, Andrew's been really exploring his creativity uh, through photography. Um, But he is a great um, champion and a great person to bounce ideas off of. So when I say we, I do refer to the Karen and Andrew team. Um, And we decided that when we were going to organize the book, um, that it was really, we saw these stages uh, through the various chefs that we've interviewed over the years. And in particular for this book, some of the world's most creative chefs. And we saw that they didn't necessarily always proceed in a linear way, but sometimes these stages kind of um, double back on one another. But we saw three distinct stages that laid themselves out. And so that's how we've laid out kitchen creativity. And the first stage is mastery. The second is what we call alchemy. And number three is creativity. And so before you jump into the creativity, there are those two preparatory stages that you um, can master, uh, starting with mastery, which is really about kind of mastering the basics, learning how to acquire the kind of knowledge, skill, and control that you need in order to work your way through the kitchen. And then we get into alchemy, which is really about flavor affinities um, and uh, a big portion of the work that we've done prior to kitchen creativity through books like uh, the Flavor Bible and uh, culinary artistry and what to drink with what you eat. So really um, exploring the power of those flavor synergies. And it kind of all comes together in kitchen creativity um, in those three stages. And then we go into part two, which is basically an A to Z guide of just almost any topic you could ever imagine um, that's organized and laid out for people who are familiar with the Flavor Bible in that three-column format that um, – Uh, many have come to know and love, only instead of seeing names of ingredients, what you'll find are different topics from art to architecture to Alice in Wonderland and moving through the alphabet, things like the X factor and yoga. And all of these things kind of come together to serve as spurs for the creative process in the kitchen. And that's really what kitchen creativity aims to be, is kind of the ultimate brainstorming guide for creativity. So no matter what you're looking to do, coming up with a new dish, a new dessert, a new drink, a new menu, um, it is a starting place to kind of have endless number of jumping off points to spur your imagination. Where did you and Andrew find the inspiration to do this book? I think each of our books has started with the same inspiration, which is 
wishing a certain book existed and finding it didn't and thinking, well, somebody should write that and kind of looking in the mirror and thinking, well, maybe it should be us. <laughs> and I think every one of our books has started that way. From the very first, we wrote a book called Becoming a Chef when Andrew was trying to decide um, how to get into the kitchen professionally and was looking for a book on the topic. I couldn't find one. And so that was what led us to set out and interview over 60 of the country's top chefs and really write about that process of becoming a chef. With kitchen creativity, it was really a matter of um, wanting inspiration for, you know, kind of a, a book that we could turn to when the inspiration was lacking, when the muse was gone. And that seemed to be something that a lot of our readers shared, it was, uh, and that they were turning to Flavor Bible and culinary artistry for, to get ideas for flavors that combine well together into a dish. But we realized that flavor is only a part of the equation when it comes to creativity in the kitchen. And so we wanted to create a book that would really emphasize so many of the other factors that go into the process of creativity and also to interview some of the world's most creative chefs and what their influences are when they set out to create, like I said, a, a, new, a new dish, a new uh, drink, um, a new restaurant concept in some cases, and to really understand what their best practices are when it comes to creativity. When I think about cooking in my kitchen, I think about solitude. Talk about the new trend of chefs collaborating. You know, it's interesting because I think that we, you know, we grew up, we're dependent on our parents, and we see the evolution of becoming independent is really a huge accomplishment, which it certainly is. But I think the evolutionary process continues, and a lot of people get stuck at that independent stage, and they think, well, I've got to do it all myself, and I want the credit that I did X, Y, and Z. Um, but in fact, the, you know, the world, especially today, is so complex, and there are such areas of specialization that it's really only through the process of interdependence that chefs can realize their creative potential. When they work with other people who have had different experiences, different influences, different perspectives and points of view, and come together with them to really brainstorm and um, shake things up a little bit to find ways of moving forward collaboratively. And that has, I think, resulted in not only better ideas, but truly grander ideas taking place. A very timely and wonderful example is that of Jose Andres, who has fed over three million meals at this point to Puerto Rico in the aftermath of Hurricane Maria. And so um, you see chefs really taking on um, an important role globally in terms of social, addressing social problems through food, solving problems um, through their line of work that is really um, you know, at a level that we've not seen before. And I think that has prompted the creation of prizes like the Basque World Culinary Prize, which is a new annual prize uh, of more than $100,000 that is given by the Basque 
government to a chef around the world who uses creativity, culinary creativity, to solve problems, and, and they'll use it uh, to teach chocolate-making skills down in Venezuela. They'll use it to uh, teach uh, culinary professional skills to inmates and to reduce recidivism. And uh, they're using it to improve the quality of school lunch programs. They're using it as Jose Andres has used it, and he has been a, a finalist for this award in years past, to um, be able to... Uh, feed uh, people in parts of the world who are in need. And so um, it's incredibly inspiring to see all of the ways. And if you Google the Basque World Culinary Prize, you'll see lots of the, um, there have been 20 finalists from all over the world. And just reading their bios, it's incredibly inspiring to see how they are using food in a whole new way. But the kitchen creativity is being put to use in so many amazing ways in this day and age. In an interview last year, Jacques Pepin told me to learn the recipe, then you can make it your own. In Kitchen Creativity, you write master the craft before you can break the rules, which is kind of the same concept. Can you talk a little bit about that? So the reason we kick off with the mastery section of Kitchen Creativity is because you really do need to master the fundamentals um, by studying the past and that will set you up to be the kind of cook who can walk into a kitchen and create a dish from scratch just by opening your refrigerator doors or your cupboards and seeing what's there and being able to put things together. Um, I think so many people today um, think that they need to follow a recipe step by step by step, and if they don't have the 16th of a teaspoon of a particular ingredient, that they're not going to be able to make what they set out to make. Instead of learning the basic principles of mastery when it comes to the kitchen, of understanding how to think like a chef and season like a chef and shop like a chef, and these are the kinds of things that will allow you to, um, as Picasso says, break the rules. Uh, so that process of mastery is really one of learning learning by copying. And once you copy enough, copy the way that great chefs think and the way that they approach their, what they do in the kitchen, then you can throw those rules out the window and you can, lear you can learn to create by not copying, by creating something completely original. And that is something that's going to allow you to do what Jacques Pepin refers to as the X factor, bring the X factor into your food by imposing your own will on the dish that you're making. So in the back of the book, you have a world of infinite culinary, or is it culinary possibilities? <laughs> the lists A to Z. Under W, you have a section called winter. As a home cook, I love your winter flavor affinities list, like acorn squash, Parmesan, and thyme. Um, we've always found seasonality such an important inspiration in the kitchen, Andrew and myself. And so uh, in culinary artistry and the Flavor Bible, there are sections on seasonality, but this, seasonality sections and kitchen creativity raise seasonality to a whole new level. I mean, these are much more detailed in terms of ingredients that are popular in the wintertime. Um, not only wines, but also beers, cocktails, and spirits that you can serve uh, during the wintertime. And so just looking at the lists of affinities, what is beautiful about flavor chords and why we like to celebrate them and flavor chords being uh, flavor affinities that are so archetypal that, you know, they um, uh, are used in many, many uh, classic dishes um, around 
restaurant menus. And so you, I can, you know, lean on any one of them and use that as an inspiration. So you could go up with, with a combination, say, b- banana, pineapple, and rum, all winter ingredients. Bananas are plentiful in the wintertime. Um, rum uh, is a beautiful complement to both of those. It takes you immediately to the Caribbean. And you can riff on that. You can come up with a, a cocktail looking at that with pineapple juice um, uh, and, and rum and maybe um, accenting it with a dried banana chip. Um, you can uh, play with it as a dessert. You can play with it as a breakfast, maybe minus the rum or save it for a weekend. Um, but just through having those flavor affinities, the three or more ingredients that pair well together, it gives you a starting place from a flavor perspective to just kind of jump off and take it in different directions. So I think the process of kitchen creativity is understanding um, the elements of being able to play with that. And is it culinary or culinary? <laughs> <laughs> Leonard Lope, WNYC yes. Radio, is asking us the same question. I know. <laughs> um, we, we, I think I've heard both. I've probably said both. And um, I think it's a matter of personal preference at this point, don't you? Okay, good. So I'll just toggle between the two of them. <laughs> mm-hmm. There are over 100 chefs in this book, and one is Mike Anthony from Gramercy Tavern and the Modern, whom I adore. How did traveling to Japan inspire his cuisine? Mike Anthony is one of my favorite chefs as well, and we did a wonderful event together at Rizzoli Bookstore um, a few weeks ago with Amanda Cohen from Dirt Candy and uh, Damon Burrell from his eponymous restaurant in Earlton, New York. And um, Mike has spoken to us uh, about his the influences of Japan, and I think understanding them really helped me to understand what I love so much about his cuisine, because I think M- Mike and his cuisine are not flashy, are not um, over the top. I think they're very grounded. I think they're very rooted, and through understanding the influence of Japan, which, impl- which incorporates um, an in- amazing emphasis on the ideas of time and of place and of celebrating that particular moment of time and, uh, and place that I think defines beautifully what he's doing at Gramercy Tavern, that he really pulls together ingredients that are of the season and of the moment and doesn't try to serve them in ways that are let's say, unbecoming to the setting of Gramercy Tavern, which, again, is um, is elegant, but it's rustic. It's homey. It's um, very much uh, a comforting kind of food as opposed to a show-offy kind of food. And I think that it is his emphasis on um, really celebrating those basic principles that I think really defines his food is being what it is. One of the things that Mike shared with us is that when he has Japanese customers in his dining room, he'll ask his kitchen staff to actually season the food about 5% less. And what he's realizing that is in this day and age where Americans are kind of always emphasizing bigger and better, that the Japanese culture as a whole has this appreciation for subtlety that sometimes gets lost in um, other American restaurants. And I love that Mike embraces that sense of subtlety um, in his cuisine and the appreciation for having things being perfectly balanced. And he does argue it is a challenge when the food is as simple 
um, as it is at Gramercy Tavern by just showcasing perfect ingredients prepared perfectly without bells and whistles. It's got to be perfect or it's going to be boring. And I find that the food that Mike produces at Gramercy Tavern is never boring. It's so perfect. And I love sitting in the bar. Mm. One of my favorite places to eat in New York City, I think, sitting in the bar at Gramercy Tavern, the glass of wine, ordering some appetizers. It's a great experience. He came to my kids' elementary school and taught the kids a cooking class, and it was the sweetest thing you've ever seen. Mm, I love it. How we old is so your kid? Lucky. Well, he's eleven, but he was um, he was in fourth grade at the time. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, Mike has such a great way with kids. Um, Of course, he's got kids of his own uh, that he's very fond of, (laughs) obviously. And um, I can just picture him um, just sharing his passionate enthusiasm for ingredients for all things in the kitchen um, in just a beautiful way. And I think it's so important for kids to be exposed at that young age to um, you know, ideas about food and really a reverence for it that people like might bring to food. And so I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that your son got that experience. What is one dish that you've eaten recently that boggled your mind creatively? I don't know that I get boggled so much anymore. Really? <laughs> um, and I, I think I've been kind of spoiled that I um, have been able to eat widely and really appreciate um, a lot of dishes. I think, you know, we went to the Inn at Little Washington in Virginia, um, and he knows that we've been eating vegetarian for the last five years. And so he created, in honor of our visit, this wonderful meatless morel mushroom meatloaf that was served in a copper pot with this really rich sauce that was um, packed with umami, um, served with perfect mashed potatoes and just incredibly perfect. And I, it was, the texture was so meaty and the flavor was so full of umami that I would have sworn there was something else going on, but he swore it was just mushrooms um, cooked to their zenith of perfection. And I would have suggested that he could serve that dish to any omnivore in the world. And I would have defied anyone not to have gone crazy about it as I did. I think Patrick O'Connell at the Inn at Little Washington is one of the great creative chefs in the United States today. Where can we find you on the web? Uh, Andrew's and my website is at karenandandrew.com, which is also our Twitter handle. And we're on Instagram at The Flavor Bible. This book has inspired us to cook like the world's best chefs. Thank you, Karen, for coming on Cookery by the Book podcast. Oh, such a pleasure to speak with you today, Susie. Thanks so much for having me. Follow me on Instagram at Cookery by the Book. Twitter is I am Susie Chase. And download your kitchen mixtapes, music to cook by, on Spotify at Cookery by the Book. And as always, subscribe in Apple Podcasts.